Hello, and welcome to Darkly Lit, a monthly podcast where we delve into some of the horrors that go bump in the night. I am one of your hosts, Kayla Berry, and uh, exploring the apocalypse with me are my two other co-hosts. We have David King. Oh my god, the women. The women. <laughs> that's, that's all I have to say. The women. And say it. <sighs> Hi. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna say right now, this this book wasn't gay enough for me. <laughs> this book wasn't straight enough for me, you know. So <laughs> this book had nothing. No, I had vampires. It had vampires, but the, it's like I, it's very... it, did, it did not have Will Smith. It did not have Will Smith, so we already know that that adaptation is the worst one. Um, Based off the context clues you guys may have picked up, or if by reading the title, if that hasn't hinted to you, uh, we read I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. Oh, I thought we were, wait, I thought we were reading Independence Day, the novelization. <laughs> Damn it. What have I been reading? If we read Independence Day, then this would have been plenty gay for me. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Fair enough. So, uh, if you haven't guessed, uh, this is, uh, I guess you would call it a sci-fi horror story. It is. I guess, yeah, a little bit. Uh, when, (laughs) when was this one written? 1954. 54, okay. So, so I guess I'll give a summary. Uh, we're introduced to Robert Neville, who I guess we would say is the last man on Earth, like, in terms of someone who is still human. Uh, we, a disease spread across the world and turned everybody into vampiric-like creatures, and Robert Neville is stuck in his home, where he's had to spread, uh, like, find ways to make sure that none of the vampires come in at night. During the day, he goes around and looking for live people, or if he sees some Surviving. Yeah, basically. It, it's a, it's definitely a survival story. Uh, it's like Robinson Crusoe, but with more vampires. Um, <laughs> this kind of all changes when, uh, well, two events happen. One is the dog, and the less we talk about that dog, the better. Mm. It's the only part I want to talk about. Okay, okay. <laughs> we will talk about the dog. We will talk about the dog. And then, uh, but then he actually meets a woman, and, uh, and one that can actually stand in the sunlight. But, of course, he's distrustful of her, and uh, this leads some banter between him and her. And then, uh, at first, you're thinking, oh, are they going to go into a relationship together or something like that? But then it turns out she escapes. Her name is Ruth, by the way. I, sh- I-, I should- Ruth. No. <laughs> no. Ruth. No. Uh, and it turns out that, uh, she's from a, uh, society of vampires, uh, that have found, like, not a cure, but, like, a, a way to keep them stable, uh, in the sunlight. And then there's a point where, uh, he gets kidnapped by the society of vampires. <laughs> and, uh, this eventually leads to his execution. And as he's about to be executed, he realizes all of these vampire, the society of vampires are looking to him in fear scared at this monster and they realize to him to them he is a monster hence i am legend he's become what vampires were to people 
when they were myth a lot when they were myths and legends. Exactly. Except now vampires are the dominant species on the planet Earth, and humans are the myths and legends. So yeah, he's again the only one of his kind. It's um, important to mention part of the reputation reason he gets grabbed and and potentially executed is during the day he was going around uh, killing, staking, uh, destroying uh, dormant vampires that he would find. And um, as far as we know, he had just assumed that they were all mindless, shambling, animalistic creatures, much like the ones that attacked his house every night. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, some of them are managed to keep their faculties and keep themselves together enough to form a new society after this uh, plague, this uh, plague hits. Now, one interesting thing about this book, I want to say right away, and by the way, I want to apologize. I am getting over a cold and my voice is shot and you can probably hear it. So um, anyone listening who wonders why every so often I'm coughing, um, it's because my I am a dying man. Maybe I'll turn into a vampire by the end of this. <laughs> um, but this is written in 1954, but it's set in the uh, mid-70s. So it's a spec- it, at the time it was like a speculative oh, was, future novel, too. It was absolutely a speculative future novel. Um, the reason why uh, Richard Matheson is also well-known is... He wrote Twilight Zone episodes, a lot of famous ones. That we'll get into a little bit, but this makes sense. This feels like a long Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> um, in terms of a whole book, it's good. A little bland for me, but I get it because it's a fifties book. <laughs> there, like I and I know it's a, I I shouldn't. You can say whatever you want. It's your podcast. It's my podcast. It's our podcast. Basically, um, there's, I feel like there's a point, like, where writers sort of, like, during, like, the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s, if they weren't, like, if there were, they weren't, like, artistic writers, then they just wrote stories as, like, beat by beat by beat. That kind of has that feel. Hmm. A little bit. I, I do like the emotion he puts into it. Like, that. I do, this is a very interesting story. And the premise is great, and I, but there is, I don't know, there's something bland about it, and I can't explain it. Is it because, um, I mean, did anyone else get, I, we're, we're post, uh, you know, we're post Night of the Living Dead. We're post, like, we're exhausted by the concept of zombie movies and, zomb- and a zombie outbreak where all of humanity becomes, you know, voracious, flesh-eating undead. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, voracious, blood-drinking undead. This is a, a little bit... Ahead of its time in that regard. Yes. You know? <coughs> so, I, I, I mean, maybe that's part I of it. I still feeling... enjoy a good, like, virus outbreak, like, people turning to zombies or whatever. Because I think when it comes to those type of stories, what what makes it interesting are the characters. Oh, right? absolutely. And I'm normally all for, like, they're, they're, the way they have to change to survive and, like, the tortured mindset. Like, I, I'm always all for those, like, in-depth, like, look at the character. But for some reason, I couldn't bring myself to connect with Robert Neville. Hey, and know. maybe. <laughs> but, like, yeah, no. Uh, how do I put this? I guess I got really annoyed with his, like, women. <laughs> I need women. Yeah. He's that's, if you've got that now you know now you understand why that in particular was the line I pulled from the book to do my dumb quote about you because know, he kept thinking about how he would look outside and see them posing because they wanted to lure him out and I'm like are you fucking kidding me sir 
But then again, I would be pretty lonely and horny, you know, <laughs> if I was the but only man left on Earth in a zombie I, zo- vamp- vampire apocalypse. <laughs> I think, I think, Sade, you're actually completely onto something, because here's another thing. I'm going to lean away from the mic to cough up all this vampire blood, excuse me. <laughs> Guys, just pretend we're in the apocalypse right now, and... <laughs> David's dying from vampirism. Uh, what, are we, what are we drinking, whiskey or gin? Because there was a lot of drinking in this yeah, story. Yeah, they drink, they drink so much. How did he get... Well, then again, I guess he, he had plenty of places to go scavenge during the day, huh? Oh, yeah. He's in... um. He's he's near fucking, like, Inglewood, right? Yeah, he's actually in California. This takes place in Los Angeles. Yeah. But the weird part is the way they word it is, like, how they drive to... He drives to certain places is like, wait, that, that wouldn't take... That'd take forever, but then I'm like, oh, wait, there's no traffic. I guess he could make it there in half hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think you're on to something, because here's the thing. Yeah, again, premise is good. Uh, I really like the idea behind it, but at the same time, our main character doesn't have much interesting going for him. I mean... Well, like, okay, it, it, it was, I think, too much of just him cycling through this these up and downs i guess in his head mentally which i guess is what would happen if you're alone for that long it would just be a constant up and down of just like i'm miserable and lonely as fuck and i don't want to do shit but here's me doing shit and oh look i'm miserable and lonely again (laughs) but i guess I don't think we needed to hit it so many times in the story. Like, it, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, me, personally, I found the, the part of the story that worked for me was the vampires were, you know, a looming threat and they were the like thing, but it was the isolation that actually spooked me, honestly. The idea of being in that situation where every night you did have to barricade your home and hope for the best. We, meanwhile, one of your former old friends is constantly yelling at you to come out and you know that these things are you're they're barely like you're just barely i don't know because like you were talking about what what's relatable about uh, a lot of zombie stories is that it's always a band of survivors generally like people getting together and then you get the human drama but and it's when also- you're the only human it's just drama with yourself so yeah you could i totally can understand and agree to an extent that that's you know, where a lot of the book hinges, and unfortunately it doesn't always pan out. Yeah, he does get stuck in it, but I, it didn't bother me, I think, to the same extent, because I was I kept thinking, well, what would I be doing in his situation if I was completely alone? Here's another thing, too. He's a 1950s white dude. Oh, there is that, too. And 1950s white dudes, it's like, oh, my wife died. My daughter. daughter. I had to throw them in a in a fucking pit with fire. I think, and they died. Quarantine pit. I think, like, the the <coughs> best parts... You're gonna have to throw me in a quarantine pit. I know. I think the best parts in there were when there was action going on. Like, he was actually doing something or something was happening. And, uh, or, or like, there... Or if he's flashing back to, like, moments with his wife. But if he's just... When he's just going about and, like, just thinking to himself, it, which is a good chunk of the book, it does kind of drag. Are we supposed to be... It, I mean, 
things are tedious. That's part of how that's going to work out. But it's not necessarily the most entertaining thing to read. I don't know. I, I felt like I kind of rolled with it in some places and then kind of felt my, myself eye roll with it in other places. Again, it's it's a little dated, but at the same time, I think some parts of it do work, so... <laughs> Honestly, I think actually one of the scariest parts is when uh, he decides to bury his wife, even though they're like, you should probably burn her. And he's like, no, I must bury her. And she comes back from the dead. Oh, yeah. Like, that is <clears throat> eerie. Like, that is an eerie moment. Mm-hmm. I think that part didn't so much get to me because... It was obvious, like, oh, well, okay, fine, she's going to come back, and it's going to be traumatizing. So with that part, I was actually, I was looking forward to her coming back, and I wanted, what I wanted, what I was hoping for was getting to see what he does with her when she comes back, and we didn't really get that. That's true, that actually. True. So that's, that's, that was disappointing for me, because um, I think that's where, like, the really scary shit would have happened. I'm like, does he kill her? Does he, like, try to keep her around for a while? Like, that's what I want to know. That's a that's a story for... That's a story that they, they say... They never... Yeah, it's never elaborated, is it? Like, what he did. Like, how he had to deal with her. He, like, basically summarizes to Ruth what happened. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and it's... <laughs> so and one of the scariest parts for me was when he fucked up and left his garage door open. And he fucked up because he's like, oh, sunlight can kill these things. And he starts going around doing experiments on some of the dormant vampires and then he realizes he's run out of time and then he's trying to figure out how to get back in his house while the uh horde of vampires are chasing him mm-hmm. that part, and it wasn't it, it wasn't even that he fucked up though it's his watch stopped working oh that was it that's right his watch stopped but he so that saying, i think I that's fucked up i should have checked or whatever yeah but, um, but i mean like shit happens <laughs> yeah but that was even after the apocalypse shit happens i kept expecting I'm surprised. I think my the part I was disappointed was, was how well he bounced back from it, because I feel like that's the point in the novel where the stakes are at their lowest, and now he has to be on the run, moving around, doing all kinds of shit. His survival instincts, would, the book would be a little more action-packed. Not only did he uh, manage to fix up his situation, but I think he got his situation even a little better, because they said, oh yeah, he soundproofed his house. Now he doesn't have to hear them yelling at him at night. I'm like, I don't know, I kind of liked it when he was a little more desperate and a little bit more... Um, under the under the gun. That's the why like the best parts are the tense parts. Yeah, the parts where it's like again action is happening. Um, well, I mean, do we want to talk about the dog? Because I would say I from when we were reading uh, <laughs> Hill House, I was like, yeah, next chapter, next chapter. Like I'm 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 wanting to sit down and read oh, this. Yeah. But when it came to this, I was just like, you have to read it. Like, you have to. <laughs> You have to read it. Like, yeah. just really forcing myself to turn the page until I got to the dog. And then I was like, oh, this is going to be sad. Let's do this. I'm finally invested. I Because there was actual stakes with another human yeah. being who wasn't so stuck in his own head. Well, not human being. Not, not a human a being. Human another living thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. And, and that's that's why it's hard for me to talk about the dog. Because that, you're right, it is, this, that was the time when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually more invested, but at the same time, I'm like, oh no. This dog's gonna die. I, and it, it's, it was sad. I, I really, and actually that whole description of how he took care of the dog, or like, how he tried to win its trust and everything, it was sad. I felt, God, I actually felt for that moment. And it's, maybe it was, like, 
like you said, it was kind of a, it was tough for me to get through this too a little bit. It, there were times of tracks, but during that part, it was like I I wanted to keep reading, and I was just, but at the same time, I'm like, no, I don't want what's happening to happen. <laughs> I don't want this dog to die. Yeah, the dog. Uh, he discovers that the dog catches <laughs> the vampire virus. Didn't know dogs could catch it, but apparently they can. Ah, dang. I I have trouble with dog deaths. Human deaths are fine. I don't <laughs> like. I can humans read. are. There's a lot of humans, and um, some humans are shitty. Some uh, there's a very smaller, uh, l- less amount of dogs that aren't that are shitty compared mm-hmm. to humans. Mm-hmm. Dogs are more often pure and innocent creatures. Therefore, Ed, like, I, he said, looking at Gracie in her bed, snorting. Um, but then not long after, he runs into Ruth. Ruth. Is it just me or is he an asshole during this he's, part? He's an asshole. Well, I mean, he's been alone for how long? And he so he doesn't know how to, like, But, like, react with a and... dog, he actually, like, took its time. Like, he's like, yeah, here's some That's water. True. But no, with the woman, I'm going to grab you. And hold you down and force you to come with me. Like he well, maybe maybe he was he had the thought of like okay if I do the same thing with the dog, I might not get this uh, another chance. Mm-hmm. Like I blew at the dog because I didn't go after it when I okay. should have. Yeah, well, again, if I if I saw another human being and then that human being freaked after years of being alone and then that that person freaked out and ran away from me, I'm like, no, come back, please. I just I need the companionship. I need to just talk to someone. That would okay. I, I don't. I don't think that part was. I, is there a better way he could have gone about it? I don't fucking know. Everybody's paranoid in that situation, but that was another kind of tense bit. You yeah. Know? Again, <laughs> Ruth came in. Uh, that's things went up and up again. And uh, then, yeah, Ruth, 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 Ruth. I don't know why I keep saying Ruth. Oh, because I think of this island Earth. Yeah. Ruth. Um, what do we think of Ruth? Who ends up being a vampire? Spoilers. She was a vampire in human disguise who was sent to infiltrate, basically. I don't know. I think we spent so much time in, in Robert's head that, like, I, I didn't really think or care much for Ruth. In terms of a, as a character? I guess as a character. There's, there's not much to her, but the fact that tension's happening because of her, it, it, that's what made it interesting. You know what? When you talked about this being like a Twilight Zone episode, I realized because there's the long moments of like solemn introspective pacing that happen. I keep thinking of like the the isolationist episodes of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then suddenly when this human appears, you can almost hear the this other human appears. You get the like almost Twilight Zone dialogue, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I I, I have I, I guess I kind of agree. I think it's interesting later on when she shows up and. You find out about her position and sort of this new order's hierarchy. This like this these ele- elevated vampires, you know. So <coughs> you also learn that Neville killed her husband, or she mm-hmm. claims he did, mm-hmm. uh, probably while he was sleeping somewhere. Yep, because vampires. Um, yeah, he does stake and then also throw into sunlight quite a few vampires. Oh, okay. There, there is a bit about that, that, that part too. When he's doing the science, and he kind of learns more about them. That was also a little baffling, but we'll get to that. Remind me. Keep. Go ahead, Caitlin. Um, <laughs> I think like the twist itself is actually a pretty good twist. Um, the reason why I think it works is because 
this was like the first of its kind. Like this came out in 1954. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't seeing twists in 1954 like this. Well, so. maybe I don't know. There's some good twists in fiction. No, but like the, I like this early on, or like we we did read. Uh, that, of Hill House, and that has the twists. Good, that's that was 1960s. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> no, was it 59? No, I think it was 59. Okay. Oh, so they're both 50s. Yeah. So Shirley Jackson is a such, basically writes a more captivating story. Or at least a, a story that's more interesting to us. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I, I do prefer Hill House over this one quite a bit. Oh, okay. I, don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed this for the most part, but Leaps and bounds, I love Haunting of Hill House, so. Um, I, I know it doesn't feel like we have a lot to say, but I think it's because we are trying to collect our thoughts. We also may have uh, lost some of our thoughts over how how long it took us to <laughs> get around to recording some, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. some setbacks. It doesn't help that we're kind of dying. Yeah, we've been sick, we've been... Uh, we've been busy. I started a new job. It's been <laughs> crazy times. And the, uh, and technical difficulties. Technical difficulties too. Um, so there was, there's one bit in the whole Ruth bit that bothered me. And that was when I just felt, this is the part that felt the most weird to me is when she writes Neville that letter. And at the end she talks about, I wasn't just doing this to get close. In that moment, I was loving you or something. I'm like, oh, oh my God. She says she fall, fell in love Give with Give me him. a break. <laughs> You've known each other for like how long? I, I don't. I don't buy it. Especially when they've only been around each other for a matter of hours. And then mm-hmm. she he also killed her husband, who as far as I know was another reasoning being. Because these, these, these are these elevated vampires or whatever. But they also have a violence. I don't. There's some weird stuff in here. Okay. Um, keep the discussion going for two seconds. I really need to go and destroy my uh, lungs. I need to cough really badly. Okay, go so ahead. So carry on. I'll be right back. I think I almost even forgot about that part of like what she said about how like in that moment she had loved him, and I was that was just like no, get out of my face with that. But I don't know. I it wasn't. It was, it was, it was, I'm just going to say I didn't like this one. <laughs> this, this was, in one sense. Uh, this one, okay, it wasn't, it's not horrible. It's not, not a bad story. It just yeah. wasn't for me. It wasn't for me either. I honestly, I, I'm with you there. Cause like I tried, I was like, it's good, I guess. No, I, I mean, I, hopefully he's not dead yet. <laughs> I can can just see the chunks of his lung coming out. He may be turning into a vampire as we speak. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I may have to to burn David alive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh boy. But, no, I, I, I agree. Like, this, it's like, it's good in one sense. Like, the writing is solid, but it's just kind of bland for me. I didn't. I, I I agree. I like I didn't feel for the characters, and I no, I like Richard Matheson's writing in Twilight Zone. Like I really mm-hmm. do enjoy the Twilight Zone episodes he's done, and again we'll get into that later. But I think it works because it's in a short setting, and this is probably mm-hmm. why even this is a novella. If this was yeah, it's not that long. It's not. But even 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 as short as it was, I was feeling like it was dragging out. Mm-hmm. 
I just feel like this could have been much shorter. And honestly, I think if it was shorter, we, we it might have been a good, like a nice piece of fiction short story. I think it, mm-hmm. like, if if we would have just read it as like, oh yeah, this was really quick and it was a good read. It was interesting. I like for its time it works, but because it does drag out, and I in one sense it's like maybe that's the feeling he was trying to invoke because like if you make something drag out and feel bland and boring you're kind of feeling what he's feeling which is this isolation that's bland and boring but maybe i'm just thinking too much into it (laughs) it's i don't know what it is because it is a good story and i like the premise and it, it has some good good stuff to it and it's hard for me to pin down what it was so difficult for me to connect with the story-wise. <laughs> I think you, you might have nailed it on the head when you said you can relate to Robert Nev- uh, Neville. or ne- mm-hmm. yeah, Neville. Because I think that's the same with me, too. I couldn't relate to him. There really wasn't much for me to relate with him. I mean, like, I feel like I should have in the whole, like like struggling with loneliness and like really missing pussy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Like I there should I should have. I feel like I should have been able to connect with him, but maybe it's just something about the way he conveyed his thoughts that just wouldn't bring with me. I'm not sure. Then also, I'm just going to randomly nitpick about something specific. Go for it. When he's talking, his wife's name was Regina, right? Uh, no, it was, uh, Virginia. Virginia. Uh, Yeah, okay. He called called her Verge. But only at the very end. Yeah, that's right. I was, why wasn't he using that nickname in the beginning? He was on the verge of calling her Verge the whole time. By the way, hey, everybody, I'm back, and I, I, sorry, I died in the bathroom, and I'm a vampire now. Yeah, you're gonna be burned after this podcast. What, me? Yes. No, 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 Kayla. You're gonna be I intend to bite you and turn you into a vampire as well. God help us all. Uh, can we get at least get through this? <laughs> sure. I, I intend to do this, but I'm I'm getting real thirsty. I'm just saying. I, I could use your I could use your blood. <laughs> It'd be really helpful. Um, were they? It, did it ever say they were blood sucking creatures? Um. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was it ever addressed like how the society was surviving? They they did. They said they had, they developed some sort of pill or something that well, supplemented it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things I remember was this is actually the interesting was when they tried to you could tell Matheson was really trying to find a way to explain how vampires worked um, through science and through a sort of germ or biochemical thing that mm-hmm. had spread through mosquitoes and then like. I actually thought one scene I, I I did I did like just for the the scenicness of it is when he goes to the uh, the L.A. Public Library and uh, has to you know tries to find books on chemistry and it just describes how like empty this library is. I thought that's where I would live in the apocalypse if I was the last person on Earth. Man, I would just live in a library. It'd be fucking cool, you know? Yeah, I could actually see that. I could <laughs> see myself being in a library. I, it's you. I know you. Um, I'm gonna drink your blood. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, actually, so, so one, um, but on that point, so we got those, we got a lot of details about the vampires and about how they work and about, like, what a, a few lines dropped about how the, the <clears throat> proper vampires have managed to build a society because they've stabilized and found ways to work with stuff. And I think to myself, but then Neville keeps making the comparison 
that there's living vampires and undead vampires. So, but that, and that's a little muddy. I don't know if that gets super explained. Are the undead vampires the more ghoulish, kind of mindless ones? The ones that, like, attack his house? Um, that's what I thought. That's, that's... Or are they just people who believe in the myth that they are, oh, we're vampires, so we have these powers, so we gotta act like ghouls? Kind of uh, like, uh... I, I'm actually thinking they're actually more <coughs> ghoulish, where the, the others are more... But, like, Ben Cortman was a living vampire who just was under the delusion that he was a proper, like, of the undead, basically. Because Ben Cortman's weird. That whole part is interesting to me. I thought Ben Cortman was a vampire, but he was a living vampire. Yeah, he's a living vampire, that's what I'm saying. But he's, he's unique in that I think he's a living vampire while all the other vampires around him were undead. And they were just a trap. I feel, the way I'm kind of, like, seeing it, thinking about it now is like there were like maybe maybe there really isn't like living or dead ones there's just say the living ones are the ones that kept their faculties dead ones that are just lost it and they're just this animalistic thing and then there's like Cortman who is somewhere in the middle who kind of retained a little bit but is just too far gone to like fit into that new society I'd thought of that, too. And then I remembered also that there's the bit where when he sees Cortman and his wife, he sees that Cortman's wife has a bite wounds on her neck, but um, Cortman doesn't. I wonder mm-hmm. if people who are bitten and then are killed and come back as vampires are the undead vampires. And if the people who died and reanimated because of the virus are the um, living. living vampires. I mean, that might be another distinction, too, you know? That could be a possibility. <clears throat> I'm not sure which one I am. E- you would think that the ones that, say, died, like, fully died and then came back would be the ones that are, like, mindless. Because, like, your brain's gonna, like, there's, there's like, brain loss if you're, if you're dead for a while, even if you're being resurrected, I would think. That's true. Hmm. Maybe it has something to do with, like, say, the mosquitoes. Like, something in, like, it being transferred through a mosquito bite is, like, where the mutation is. Mm-hmm. Versus, say, being bit directly. By another human. Yeah. Like I said, I just think there's a distinction. I, I think about a lot of, like, in uh, D&D, if, uh, in order to become a true vampire, you have to, like, have this... You, you uh, A vampire generally makes you into a proper vampire, but if you're just someone who's had their blood drained and gets the, gets the, the sort of vampire curse, you become their spawn. You die and become their spawn. If you're just someone who had their blood drained. And they're mm-hmm. like vampires, but they're weaker... And they're more ravenous and, and mindless. But I think with this one, they <clears throat> what they're trying to do is not say that they're actual vampire vampires, but, like, basically, it's the vampirism is caused by a disease. Right. And that's why he was trying to com- uh, apply science to it. Which, he, it does get kind of confirmed when he's finally captured by the, um, the society or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they're all just, like... I find it interesting that this society was building up on the fringes and he never, like, saw it. Because, like, he goes... when he At the end, he's in prison and he looks out and he sees just a bunch of, like, white faces in a courtyard. He's like, oh, I guess they have a functioning society now. And I'm like, this is so bizarre. How long has the plague been in existence? Like, five years? Yeah, it's not been that long. Society rebuilt... The infected people... Now vampires rebuilt their society surprisingly quickly, mm. all things considered, you and, know? And he became a legend in five years. What do you know? Well, when you go around it, uh, when you go around when they're dormant, snatching, snatching people up, you're like a boogeyman. So that part makes sense to me, the whole I am legend of it. Also him, like, you know, killing himself and whatnot. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Sorry about the residual coughs. I mean, even as a vampire, I'm still getting over the virus, but, you know. Um, do we have any other thoughts? Oliver, Oliver Hardy. <laughs> ben Cortman is Oliver Hardy. I have questions. You want to, should we, should we do questions? Say, do you have any, any closing thoughts before we get to questions? Um, no. Good. Just, let's just, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Questions. Jose <laughs> and I were on the same page. We were both like, it's, I think I'm a little more up on this book than you two are, but I also kind of agree. It's not my favorite. There were parts of it I enjoyed, parts of it were a little more of a slog. I think I prefer prefer uh, some of Matheson's uh, television writing, and I know that's going to come up in the questions. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So. so we got a question from username. Hey, username. Hi, username. And, of course, the question is, which is your favorite Twilight Zone <laughs> episode written by Richard Matheson? Um... I haven't seen them all, admittedly, but we watched quite a few in response. So, so I'm I'm gonna just list out. He wrote 14 uh, Twilight Zone episodes, and actually two of uh, two Twilight Zone episodes written by Rod uh, Serling were based off his works. Um, but the 14 that were adapted was uh, The Last Flight, A World of Difference, A World of His Own, um, Nick of Time, which that's a very like that's a famous episode with the uh, uh, the devil on the, the mystic seer little like fortune teller thingy right yeah yeah, yeah okay uh the invaders another famous one where um it's silent most of the time and a, it's a between a woman and these tiny little alien invaders uh once upon a time which we'll get to that one we'll get to that one uh, l- uh little girl lost which i really love um that was the one that actually had a really trippy part uh, it's the one where there's a, like, they make a chalk circle and they're like, where's the girl? Uh, Young Man's Fancy, Mute, Death Ship, Steel, and then this one we all know, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Yep, he wrote the go- a Gremlin on the Airplane with William Shatner episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As well as Night Call and Spur of the Moment. Uh, the two that were adapted from his works were And When the Sky Was Opened and Third from the Sun. Um, he wrote a lot of famous episodes. Like that, like that's insane to me. Yeah, Little Girl Lost is amazing. Uh, I've seen Death Ship before as well. Death Ship is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying, okay, I lost. Go ahead. I've watched a bunch of the, a bunch of Twilight Zone, but I don't know most of them by name. Yeah, I have Which to... one was Little Girl Lost? Little Girl Lost was with the one where the um, parents uh, are like, where's our girl? But they can hear her voice, but they don't see her anywhere. And it turns out she was she uh, rolled into another dimension. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. It, there is like a thin point, And then, uh, so the... There's like a portal in her bedroom there, wall. There is a portal mm-hmm. in her bedroom wall. And her dad actually goes in. And when he enters in... They make the camera look really foggy and kind of weird and trippy as he's trying to look for her. And it's a very, like, weird, it's a really weird, surreal type of moment as they're trying to get her out. And I, that's, like, really up there for me because very rarely do I get to see something surreal on television in the 1960s. And the fact Twilight Zone did this was like, ah, I love that. Uh, I'm trying to go through it. Steel is the one... (laughs) Where, uh, a robot, it's, uh, there are no human fighters, it's just robot fighters, but then a human decides to throw himself into the ring. Uh, mm-hmm. Mute is the one where, uh, some, uh, man is challenged to not speak for 
I think that's the one. Someone where a man's challenged not to speak for a whole year or something like that by a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Because um, he's a loudmouth at parties or something. And there's a twist at the end about the mutinous, which is pretty good. Um, if I recall, <coughs> I think, let me make sure Nightcall is the one I'm thinking of. I think that's the one where the little boy gets a plastic telephone. Is it the one that lets him talk to the dead? Uh, yeah, talk to his dead grandmother. <laughs> I think that's it. I like. Let me. Um, I will say uh, this is uh, while you're looking that up. I want to uh, give shout out though because in, in rewatching these, um, one of the things I realized Matheson actually does really well. I and I don't think a lot of people recognize it. Uh, okay. I think he does the comedies really well. Okay, the he, more comedic episodes. Before we go, I was completely wrong. This one is about an elderly woman who gets strange anonymous phone calls in the middle of a stormy night. Ooh, sounds spooky. Mm-hmm. But um. So Dave and I watched about half of it at one point. Like, we just decided to do a Twilight Zone day and decided to watch the Richard Matheson collection. Um, we The one that stands out, and we're surprised, doesn't have more of a cult following is Once Upon a Time. I've seen mixed reviews of this one, honestly. I'm, Which, sho- I'm shocked. I think it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, I think it's great. So Once Upon a Time is a is might actually be my favorite, just because, uh, A, uh, it's a, it starts out as a silent film. Like, it's even got the, it's, it's, the, the film reel is sped up to the same level. It's set in, like, what, 1890? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's 1890, and there's, like, um, the giant the jan- piano roll in the background. There's all the, like, title, like, cards that come up with this, with the dialogue. And, um, and it's about a man who, uh, is a janitor at a, a scientist's house, and he had, he, the man develops a time helmet that lets you travel through time. So he travels ahead to the 1960s, even though, and, but when he gets there, sound kicks in for real and he can talk like mm-hmm. everything's normal, like you would expect, but it's still played like a silent screwball comedy with all the sight gags and pratfalls and everything. Best part. And the best part. The best part. <laughs> David is so, you want to just say this? I want, you, you could, well, I'll say this much. I, I'll, I'll, I'll start it. You can finish it. I look at the guy who's playing the main character. I'm like, you know, whoever they got here is really good. God, he, he almost looks like an older dead ringer for Buster Keaton. It's Buster Keaton. It's actually Buster Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> so they got Buster Keaton to play this character. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I, anyone who, if you ask me in the great debate of Chaplin versus Keaton, it's, for me, it's Keaton 100%. I love Buster Keaton. Um, there's also another episode called A World of His Own where he, where uh, a writer or a playwright talks into his microphone and anything he says comes to life. Um, Pretty much just creating tulpas in that one. Exactly. Yeah. Basically. I think I do. I do want to say that I like that one just because of what he does to Rod at the end. That's the best part. That's yes. the best part of that one. Yeah. He's like, "What are you doing?" Cuts him out of existence. Oh, there. <laughs> I actually uh, read uh, an interesting story about the part where the elephant showed up because they had to get a live elephant. Yeah. Mm. They said, "Well, they you know they they had an elephant and they." And uh, one of the guys who was there on set saw um, the guy bring in the elephant, and he had it do all these, like, he was really going to town on it, like, trying to get it to, uh, you know, do all these stunts. And he's like, he, just when he was about to ask, I was out in the lot, he was just about to ask why he was making this elephant, like, stand on its hind legs and stand on its front legs, stand on its hind legs. He said, it then shit a bale of hay. And he said, okay, you're good for two hours. <laughs> and so he said to the, you know, he said to the director, well, we... We better get this shot with the elephant done in two hours because <laughs> it's clean. <laughs> oh my god! 
This is why we use CGI animals and everything now. But yeah, um, I'm gonna say it's one of those two personally. Oh no, no, that's hard though. There's so many good ones. Like I, like I said earlier, there's. I think I really like Nick of Time, oh. and he he did he did the one with the pilot who travels to the future, right? Yes, he did that one. I like too. That the... was a good one. That uh, the one where uh, he's from 19. 19- oh yeah, he goes back in time and saves old Lead Bottom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. He wrote a lot. That's the thing. The Twilight Zone episodes he's written are amazing. I really do like them. Um, I don't know why this one didn't. Oh, well. Uh, and next question, same by username. One of the best parts of the story has con- and has contributed contributed to its lasting legacy is the realism of Neville's mental state and focus of practical survival. I kind of disagree, but okay. Well, you know what? No. Well, I no. mean, again, he's a specific kind of person, and he's going to. He, his mental state is how a a person's mental state could be. That's true. You um, know, drinking and then suddenly flipping a switch and throwing the bottle on the floor and going, "You're an idiot, Neville." La 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 la. la. And the women. <laughs> God. I I probably would be drinking a tongue as well during. And you know, you'd be sitting there going, "And the women." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see, the question was, how well does everyone think they would handle being the last human on the planet, and could they survive? Badly. <laughs> I, David's I, already I, a vampire. I don't. I'm, it's yeah, that's what I'm saying. I've already lost. I'm not a human anymore. I'm a vampire. So uh, I'll let I'll let you two answer that one. I I've already like constructed personas to talk to in my head, so. I think I don't think I would fare too well, but I think I would have a lot of fun. Well, you wouldn't be alone, at least, but <laughs> then you'd be stuck hanging out with uh, trash like Scully all the time, right? Right? That would be like, yeah, no, I wouldn't do too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably be like that guy that was like all the time in the world and be like, oh my god, I'm free to do whatever I want. And I would just grab all like all the books from the library and all the movies and be like, ha, 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 I'm never returning these. And then I think I would do a lot of traveling and I would never want to sleep in the same place. Well, no, that's a lie. I would have a cave, like a place where I would kind of turn it into my cave where I bring things and I collect things. But then I think I would also like just want to do things. Yeah. Oh, like, I like, would do that. Like live in. Uh, you know what? I would probably like live in my car. And, like, use that, drive that everywhere around America. And then just use that to, like, make sure it's all locked up and protected. Uh And sleep in it. Mm -hmm. And just make sure everything is covered up so, like... Hell, if if there's enough canned goods just left around in random places, there's enough to survive on just here. Like, I could wander all over anywhere I want to in... in like the LA area, mm-hmm. and I'd be probably be able to survive just based on the amount of preserved foodstuffs that are around. What I would want to do, because I've thought of this before, is like, could I live at Disneyland? Like, yes. you yes. know, just make myself at home in like above the pirates and make friends with all the feral cats. There you go. <laughs> you could live. Yeah, you could live in the in the dream suite above pirates. Yeah, exactly. Y- you know what? Um, there's. I, there's just another thing, and why didn't I think about this? You could get a boat and just, like, travel the world on the boat and, like, go fishing and... Just be careful the boat doesn't sink while you're on it. Just because, like, then you would be the not-anything-left-on-earth. I, I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I like, mean, I, that doesn't bother me. I'm a vampire. Running running water mm-hmm. doesn't affect me. Oh wait, yeah, it does doesn't doesn't like moving water? No, 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 not in this universe. Remember? <laughs> oh, that's right. See that running water? I'm gonna jump over it to make fun of you. I, I just I wanted to see like him look out the window and just see Ben Cortman not only jumping over the water but just flipping him the bird. He's like, <laughs> 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 fuck you. I have to say the when when Cortman gets killed. I was I was sad. I was I felt it. That's the only part where I was like, "Oh, me too, me too, Robert, me too." I'm sad. <laughs> were you Were you hoping you, they were they, Were you hoping he was going to be a little gay for Ben Cortman? No, I actually wasn't because he was going off about women too much for Fair. me to even think about it. Um, yeah, there was no way that guy was going to go gay for anybody. But I I don't know. It would have been at least cute if he like was able to save Cortman and they like both run away and then they just go their separate ways. That would have been interesting. Aww. Would Cortman have been able to overcome his uh, nature long enough though to like not kill Neville while Neville is saving his life? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is from Talos. Best adaptation. That's easy. Uh, so there's been three movies uh, that have been made based off this. Uh, the first one, uh, let me get let me get the titles. Um, um, okay, I was gonna say the first one is the Last Man on Earth. That's correct. And with that, Vincent Price. Um, that one's it's okay. It's not that great, but it's like that's still honest. still a more faithful adaptation. Uh, and uh, Richard Matheson was involved in the screenplay of that one, although he chose he didn't want to be credited because he didn't like it ultimately. And then uh, the another the next one was the Omega Man, right? And then we have the Will Smiths I Am Legend. Wait, wait, you know what? I okay, this didn't it, this wasn't adapted from it, but it was the inspiration behind Night of the Living Dead. I knew it. That's that's my no 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 Night of the Living Dead is top. Like, that is an amazing movie. That's, like, one of my favorite um, zombie films. The OG <laughs> zombie film. That, that is incredible. Yeah, it, it's, like, the OG. It, well, it, technically... I mean, te- okay, if we can count Night of the Living Dead, then we're, I guess I'm going to go with Night of the Living Dead, because I've only ever seen the one with the Will Smith. Um, uh, you know what sucks is the Will Smith one had a different ending. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the, the like, the cut ending? Oh, no. It's a lot better. Oh, really? Yeah, because um, instead of blowing shit up, he the the lead uh, vampire actually is able to find a way to like low key communicate with with him, and he realizes, oh shit, they don't want to come in. They they literally just want the the one I kidnapped back. And when he does, the the alpha comes in and goes to the female, and there's actually a moment where there's like this like. Like, there's, like, this tender moment between them, like, oh, my God, I was so worried. Like, not like that. It's all done with gestures and, like, weird vampire hooting noises. And then they leave. And he realizes, oh, fuck, I've been going around and killing all these things thinking they were just animals, but they have emotions, you know? And I would have liked that so much better. It's the juxtaposition. Like, it was way Uh darker and truer to the whole idea that I am legend, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, the reason... They still take the cure and leave and survive at the end, but now... Will Smith's got Will Smith's um, Neville, and by the way, Robert, his name is Robert Neville in this. So Robert Neville in this universe actually still has that sitting on his conscience at the end of the movie. Like maybe I'm the monster, does and I'm it, like, that's actually a lot better. Wait, does a dog die in this one? Too? A dog does die. In this yeah, one. he chokes it because it turns. Dang it! That's, that's the only part I really remember that well. Fuck. 
Okay, the reason I remember that part so well is because when I the first the first time I saw it, I was watching it in theaters, and there was a blackout right after he kills the dog. What? <laughs> yeah, so the whole theater lost power, and we didn't get to finish the movie. No. So I didn't see the rest of the movie. Theater, until it theater was, like... was punish the god was punishing theater for killing a dog. I, get, I don't know. Yeah. Dog spelled backwards is God. Anyway. <laughs> um But I'd say the best. I don't know. None of the adaptations are that great. Yeah. They're... But I'd say the one I the one that actually had as much as I am legend is not a great movie. Um, if you see the original ending, it at least redeems it a little bit. But then they put in the shitty movie after test, the shitty ending after test audiences didn't like it. I on, uh, Last Man on Earth actually follows it the closest. <laughs> yeah. Plus it's Vincent Price. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think Vincent Price was well casted for this because there's times he's like laughing and it's supposed to be just like an awkward laugh, but it's like, that's totally an evil laugh, dude. You can't do anything but evil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but the one change I did like actually is um, Robert Robert Nev. Uh, well, no, he goes by a different name. In- it's Robert Morgan. It's Robert Morgan in the um, in the movie. Uh, they make him a scientist, so he was like seeing this happen and was trying to already stop the. Uh, virus and trying to find a cure already and then that's been his main goal throughout most of it is trying to find a cure is that why he's immune because i like the explanation of his immunity in the book it's just like oh i got once got bit by a vampire bat in panama or whatever um i think well that's not it was just hilarious oh it it, was it or i don't remember where he was because he was in was he was he was he was in the service exactly, and he got bit by a vampire bat, and he thinks that he got the virus like vaccinated, basically in a weird million to one chance. I'm like, that's a pretty far fetched reason, da 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 da, because we all know it's inevitable. In the book, they say he's a factory worker. Yeah, he's just before a everything. He's just a. Factory I feel worker. like I like the thought of like, oh, he was a scientist prior, and that's why he's able to like read these like volumes of. Yeah, all this like technical stuff and like make sense of it because it's like even if I was the last person on Earth and I had the time, I don't think I could make that much sense enough to be like, yeah, I'm totally figuring out the way this virus works. Like, no. Yeah, same. I was I like, don't. <laughs> it's so, so the fact like in the movie they actually do change him to be a scientist. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I think even in the the one with Will Smith, he comes with. More, more of a background where that made sense, I think, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. it did. I don't know. It's yeah. So I almost say like in some ways the adaptations clean up some stuff. Yeah. Make it a little more sensible. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Last Man on Earth as the best adaptation in my opinion. I know we didn't pay a lot of lip service to the Omega Man, but the Omega Man is way different. It's not way different. It's got like a cannibal cult. No, it's got like, a what? cult called the Family. It's weird. I've never, here's the thing, I haven't seen it, but, like, I've read the summary, and then when I ask people, like, should I see the Omega Man, they're, they're like, no. Just, no. It's not good. No. <laughs> um, and now we have the questions from Alex Hatzberger. It's a wall of questions from Alex. <laughs> <clears throat> good thing I'm undead. That'll help me last through this, uh, this all. Hey, Alex, Alex, thank you, Alex, yeah. just for just always sending in questions. Yeah, Alex, like, thank you so much. I, I, I'm joshing you, dude. Yeah, I know. He's like, he's like the unofficial part of the show. He, is. he really is. 
Like, this is the guy, he's like, wait, when are you recording? I want to send in my questions. Did I get them in in time? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you did. It's cool. Um, so his first if, question. If anything, we're not allowed to record without Alex's questions. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's the real reason why Alex... we were so late. We were waiting. We were waiting for Alex's questions. Alex. No, it's not. We were. But... <laughs> did he... <laughs> but did he rise to the occasion? Alex, thank you for your questions. Really, they—they're amazing questions. We love you. <laughs> yeah. A plus. So, this novel is one of the progenitors of post-apocalyptic adventures that yes. have spawned in movies, TV shows, and video games. I will give a process that yes, this was the first, like the one to help start it. Without mm -hmm. it, there would be no Night of the Living Dead, Fallout, etc. Are there any works that you have seen that you think were directly influenced by the novel and not just the ideas it presented? Well, Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> well, you just said that. I know, but I'm being <laughs> terrible. Um, well, uh, uh, he said uh, he put an addendum. Feel <laughs> A, addendum. Feel free to ignore this if you'd like. I'm not. Uh, one thing that struck me while rereading the book was the idea of the feral vampires created from corpses and the non-feral ones that came from infected people. Okay, so yeah, he that's had... that's what I was bringing up. The corpses are the feral ones. My first thought yeah. was the feral ghouls from the Fallout series and the non-feral kind you can speak with and have join your party. Oh fuck! Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Hey, smooth skin. By the way, that's the one voice I can do right now as a ghoul. <laughs> I always wanted there to be a ghoul, um, like a ghoul radio host. Okay, so would you, you imagine turning into a radio station like, Hey, everybody, welcome to Radio Dayglow. It's your old pal, Keith. <laughs> Today we're going to be playing some long-lost tunes from, uh, I don't know whatever happened to anything that happened in the last few decades of that area. We only have stuff from, like, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and I don't really know why. And I'm not talking about the 2040s, 50s, and 60s. I'm talking about the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. This is weird, man. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so what Big I, Iron starts playing. I think what he's saying is, like, if there's, like, things in the novel, like, specific things that influenced other works, not just, like, oh, it's the idea of the apocalypse. Um, I can see Walking Dead being influenced by the idea of, like, finding, like, uh, that it's a disease mm -hmm. that spread. Like, that, I, that is the one thing about this. But is that more derivative of the zombie trope in general that George Romero kind of spun it the way he kind of spun it. But the, this was before, wait, <coughs> this was before George Romero, if I recall, right? What, The Walking Dead? No, not, uh, hold on, uh, cause he, what was George Romero's? That was Night uh, of the Night, Dead. Night of the yeah. Okay, that's a good point, but the, it wasn't, well, I guess in, in, in Night of the Living Dead, they never defined what exactly was causing the dead to come back, and it wasn't a virus. It was just literally the dead were getting up. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't, it wasn't specified. Of the, the way, yeah, say, it is in, like, The Walking Dead or, like, 28 Days Later. Yeah, they make, they really speci specify, like, oh, no, this is caused by a disease. Yeah, when did it, when did it become a virus? When did, when, when did it become a thing that infected people and turned them into? I, I actually think this was what, what started it. I mean, yes, it, they turn into vampires in this one, but still, the idea that they become the undead through a disease, I think, started with this book. Mm -hmm. Well, like, um, I think, um, Resident Evil, for example, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is a, an example of that, the T virus. Oh. Which is bioengineered. Which, keep in mind, it was chemical warfare that apparently started this. Yes. 
some sort of war that's never specified Matheson's work. It's a uh, bio biochemical engineering that creates this uh, disease. Mm-hmm. So, um, or some sort of chain reaction due to chemical weapons. Um, so there's there's that. Um, anything that involves that, really. Like, I think of a lot of video games that involve zombie outbreaks due to viruses, like, uh, Dead Island, um, um, oh gosh. The Last of Us? Is that what it is? The Last of Us, yeah. That's, that was, uh, a fungus, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, oh gosh, Dead Rising? A lot of zombie, uh, flicks and films and video games, all types of media um, do. Left 4 Dead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just anything viral like that. So Twenty. You mentioned Twenty Eight Days Later. That's another prime example. Uh, Is there any like survival stories that like, or, or that have the similar thing where it's like being left alone for a long period of time and trying to survive just on your own? Fortifying the location you're in. Mm-hmm. Well, to a lesser extent, we want to go to Romero again. There's Dawn of the Dead, where they're in the shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, George Romero must have loved that book. He probably did. Oh my god. Um, no, honestly, um, I'm trying to think of ones that aren't zombies. Oh, you know what? I got one. I got one. Um, so, uh, Pandemic. Vamp- no, I hate you. <laughs> uh, Vampire the Masquerade. It's about because my Vampire the Masquerade deals with a society of vampires. And then actually giving them, like, a class system and being, like, having this, like, um... And there are more degenerate vampires, right? Like the Malkavians and the... Yeah. Exactly. Like, there there is different stages. And also, there's the, um... The ones that live underground. Uh, the, uh... Oh, my goodness. The the Nosferatu. Yeah. So, I think that probably got some... Definitely got some inspiration from that. Because this was the one who started the whole vampires... Are can actually seem human-like, or actually do have personality. They're just. I feel like that. I feel like uh, there's there is that bit that um, that the uh, this book contributed to vampire fiction in that regard too. Because yeah, there's that. Maybe maybe, but I feel like Vampire the Masquerade drew just as equally from Gothic fiction and also maybe Anne Rice. Oh no, definitely it, oh, Anne Rice. I totally took it from stuff from Anne Rice. There's no doubt. But I think Anne Rice. <clears throat> are we gonna of... Are we gonna need to read? Interview with a vampire for this at some point. We could technically. <laughs> that might be what would finally get me to read Anne Rice. <laughs> you think that despite my love of vampires, I would have read something by Anne Rice growing up? You know, weirdly enough. Well, no, you know what? Because I'm trying to think if I ever read anything by Anne Rice. I don't think I. No, I have not read Interview with a Vampire. Oh my goodness. Okay, yeah. Let's put that on our list. Oh my god. I mean, after all, you guys, I need to get more in touch with the lore <laughs> that I am now as a vampire. I'm, like, remembering this book in my head, and I, I think it's still on my Kindle, where it was it was kind of like a virus outbreak, and there was this character who has to, like, who fortifies his apartment. Uh-huh. But it's like... uh. It's set in the future where everyone has, like, integrated with technology. Like, they have, they're pretty much, they're connected to technology, to the internet and everything. And the virus is what turns everyone who had that, that upgrade in their mind, who are, like, us cyborg-ish brains. (laughs) Um, Everyone, you know, is affected. But because the main character, who I think for some reason he had, like, some kind of, 
I forget the reason, but he couldn't he couldn't have that implemented when he was a child, when he was born. Oh, so wow. he was you could say he was analog, and that's why he's the survivor and why he's alone. And if <sighs> there was some gay in it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I bought it to make read. Gay, make it gay, gay, make it gay. <laughs> um, my, I'll, well, have, I might pitch it for us to read if I can I'm, find it. I'd be down. You know what? It's it's exactly stories like that that are. are I don't know how familiar either of you are with Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> David. <laughs> well, okay. What the major am I was like one of my first loves. <laughs> I don't blame you. The major is awesome, but. But frankly, Togusa is the only sane man in an insane world because he doesn't oh have a fucking God. cyber brain that can get hacked. Oh, true. I fucking love Togusa. And everyone was like, but, but he's not that cool. I'm like, are you kidding? He can't be hacked. That's horrifying. <laughs> Fuck right off. Togusa's the fucking best. <laughs> I want to be Togusa when I grow up. Anyway. Second question from Alex. <laughs> A question for But yeah, the ma- the major major's pretty smoking. Yeah, she's despite having a it's only kind of anatomically correct cyborg body. Anyway. <laughs> mm, I'm neither. Uh a question for debate. Are the creatures that Robert Neville is hunting really vampires? Yes. Yes. Next question. <laughs> uh, I guess it's like they have it's like I get what you mean, because it's like, they're not vampires in the typical lower sense of vampires. This they can't is, turn into bats, fog, or wolves. But they still have, like, the symptoms of a typical They vampire. have characteristics, and they're they're being defined as such, so yeah. They do work the super... Uh, I like how the way they try to explain the superstition angles about mirrors and crosses, because it's like, these people, because they really believe because of the virus that they're vampires that they're gonna be warned they're gonna actually like be like oh shit about like holy symbols and mm-hmm. and, and mirrors and all that it's just uh, interesting third question <laughs> yes okay the ending of the novel is decidedly unique where the protagonist realizes that he is in fact the villain of the story the most recent film version even the uh, in the alternative ending deliberately ignores this in fact all three film versions seem to escape Eskew, or yeah, eskew, the novel's ending in favor of a more traditional last man standing variant. Yeah, that's my big problem with all. Yeah, that's disappointing because that's like what really saves the story yeah. for me, at least. Why, Same. Why do you think they find the original ending so reprehensible? In my opinion, it's the part that really drives the story home. Because it's bleak. That's the thing. It is a bleak ending. This is a character you've been following the whole time. And you've been, like, again, we've been going into his mind. We've been, it's like, he's alone, and we're with him for this lonely ride. And then until Mm -hmm. the end, you realize, no, you're the villain. But you're the one. Here's the thing. He didn't know. As far as he knew, he was killing monsters. That's what he understood. He was killing monsters for, for his own survival. So when he finally realizes, oh, I've been killing thinking, feeling, intelligent beings, and wow, mm-hmm. shit. And I think, but at the same time, people don't want to see that. I think... Uh, but that's such a great dichotomy, because, like, you know, had things been different, maybe it wouldn't have worked out. But, like, it, it is such a great tragedy idea that this is a person who ultimately was just trying to survive and thinks that in order to survive, he's being preemptive. Either doesn't realize, or at a, to a certain extent, doesn't care mm-hmm. that he's killing these infected people, 
and some of them are part of this new society of intelligent pseudo day walking vampires. So, yeah, actually, you know what? Fuck it. He's the villain. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm still adjusting. But like, <laughs> yeah. Fuck that guy. No, they should have kept the ending with justice. Oh, except he, we didn't. He didn't get executed though. He he took his own life with Ruth's help. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess they also didn't want the main character to commit suicide. But then why not just have him be executed? For the way I don't know if I can convey my thoughts well enough because what the fuck are words? Um, they- we've been we we've been through the whole story. We've sided and with with this per character and we're supposed to see ourselves in them and then at the end to be told hey what you were doing was wrong all along and you like if you had just taken a step back to look at things from another perspective you would have seen that wrong and like maybe i just have little faith in in the people running our society but like they don't want anyone to like take a fucking minute to look around and <laughs> realize what we're oh, okay. No. I'm done. Nope, I'm with Sade. <laughs> yeah. I'm completely with Sade on this one. I am totally with you That's on that. That's totally justified. I, yeah, you, plus, I couldn't have said it better. Plus, I mean, the other thing, too, is you can't really look at Robert Neville. You've been saying this whole time. You can't really look at Robert Neville and go, oh, I relate to that guy. Well, we, because you you don't. We don't. You don't. Mm. I don't either, really. The only part I can relate to is I would really suck if I was isolated for a while. But again, isolation I... and God, I want some pussy right now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that... I do feel like we were so su- we were supposed to relate with him more. We were, were we supposed oh, to at least at least speculate though? that we would be we would be experiencing something similar if we were in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say we, we lonely wouldn't. and horny. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm already lonely and horny. Exactly. Yeah, so that's just our existence. Well, yeah, not mine anymore. Yeah, you're a vampire. Next question, please. That, that's, <laughs> it. that's it. That's all the questions. Okay. Is it? That's it. Cool. I got to drop it on a really awkward note. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. So, uh... Let's make this even more awkward with the next book we're going to be reading. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, so... Oh, I like completely forgotten. I just remembered. Okay, <laughs> this is what we're reading now. I just remembered. Yeah. We're out here, and he's frozen in there. And he's the sheriff. I can't do the voice right now because my, I'm still recovering. So if Ill. you guys have not heard our last UCA episode, um, we discovered a book that it's a horror comedy. Is apparently. it's a horror? It's a horror comedy. I didn't think we would ever find. I, I this was not something we had ever considered reading uh in terms of when we started this podcast uh i don't really know any horror comedy books so this is actually a good a a great thing plus it's independently this is a published self-published i should say self-published it's It's published through amazon so it's not independent but you know it's called the electric boner by nathaniel lewis and you can find it on amazon so yummy yes (laughs) if you if you want to do, if you have the Kindle app on your phone, you don't need an actual Kindle. You just have the Kindle app on your phone. You can get it for ninety nine cents. Like that's hell yeah. That's nothing, guys. So if you want to read along and you're just like, what is this book? Are you guys what? Go for it, please. You're good. I I I'm so ready for this ride. My body is ready. My literally, my body is ready. <laughs> 
So yeah, next join us next month for the electric boner. Uh, do we have any plugs? Um. Well, obviously, if you want to know what the context is for uh, the electric boner, you can listen to one of our most recent episodes of UCA, which is the Ed's Three Balls story, which is also written by N.S. Lewis, gives you a sense of his writing style. Um, me, Kayla, and Alan read that. Uh, Kayla uh, died laughing in that one. It was actually really uh, tragic. Luckily, I was able to bring her back, um, but only barely. You didn't bring me back. No, yeah, I brought you back wrong. Yeah, the, I had to get um, a friend of mine to fix that. Oh. And I had to get Zaf to fix that. Oh, Zaf did fix that. Yeah, Zaf fixed that. Yeah, Zaf was Zaf's good at that. Um, but yeah, there's that. And uh, if you want to see a silly thing I did just recently, I was in a Random Encounters uh, musical for uh, based on the indie horror adventure game Sally Face. I play Larry. I don't get to rock out nearly as much as I thought I was going to in it. And you'll also see me in a very long wig. But yeah, it's based on Sally Face, which uh, Kayla and I have seen a little bit of as well. The game, I mean. Uh, yeah. Um, Say I do the witching hour. Are we doing plugs? I totally spaced out. Yeah, we're yes, doing plugs. We're plugs. Um, where a new episode just came out on the first, and it is about demonic possession. And at the end, we uh, tried to come up with our own demonic possession story that wasn't somehow heavily religious. And yeah, so go check that out. I can't wait to hear this. This sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm down for this, honestly. By this point, we'll be a few days past it, but like, well, maybe almost a week past it, but yeah. I'm going to assume future me has enjoyed it, has absorbed it, enjoyed it. And also, listen to any of their ones about the serial killers. Honestly, those have been my jam recently. Um, I like the one y'all did with Alan about uh, horror remakes. Mm. And then when Ophelia finds out who Alan is... Oh. oh, yeah, that was cold. <laughs> that was that was pretty choice. Go, go listen to that, if not for that. <laughs> hey, also check out some of the other amazing podcasts on the Creative Horror Network, like uh, obviously Undercooked Analysis, Midnight Marinara, um, Trick or Track, Trick or Track, yeah, and Creepy Cooking Staff. Mm-hmm. Those are other good shows that we like. So go listen to those. We also have Patreons, respectively, for different shows. Uh, and Midnight Marinara and UCA has one. Ching Hour has one. Get on either of those. You can join us in the uh, Creative Horror Discord where we all hang out and do silly things. And also talk about horror and shit. And now I have to um, uh, put a stake through David's heart. Wait, and... what? Hey, you didn't have a stake earlier. Where did that come from? Shh, just go to sleep. What? God, why? Oh, no, I guess, feel like uh, a dog in that story. Guess I'll blow out the candle then. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>